0: He said, everyone knew I was promiscuous. What is he saying between the lines? I was really open about that. In fact, sometimes maybe I was too open. But one interpretation is he's saying, I'm a guy that is promiscuous. Therefore, if you were alone in a room with me, then the game is on.
1: It's Dr. Raj Persaud on the show. He is a celebrity psychiatrist. It's always fascinating to talk to those. He's very well-humoured and fascinating and interesting. And we have bits of debate, bits of pushing back and forward as we discuss Russell Brand, psychology, what makes somebody a sex addict. And we go into Prince Harry and Lucy Letby, the nurse accused of, well, I think convicted, of killing babies on the ward and whether... She's necessarily guilty or not? You know, just just Doctor Persaud talking about probabilities and things like that at the end. I think it's a really fascinating episode, and it's a bit of a throwback to some of my early episodes where they sort of ramble in different directions. And even though we're discussing very serious topics, we do laugh a lot, uh, particularly uh, around halfway through. As it as it goes on, we start to get into the giggles a little bit, and that's how the podcast was to start with. And I quite enjoyed that. And I started to find a bit. Uh, I was a bit boxed in by YouTube and the algorithm uh, for the video. Version. You guys listening to this, this just goes out on the audio podcast. But the video version is very much, you know, stick to the point, get on the you know the topic, and I know that audio listeners like to hear a bit of a ramble conversation. So I hope this is enjoyable. I really do. You can support this podcast by the way on andrewgold.locals.com. I do extra live streams and videos and things on there if you want to see them and you get the ad-free Uh, podcast there as you can also get on patreon or apple subscribers but it's andrewgold.locals.com is where i'm trying to get people over to and also do go and follow we'll put some links to dr raj's books and and uh, various things that he talks about at the end uh in the description here big episodes coming up but for now but now you're on the edge of psychiatry russell brand and prince harry with dr raj Pasod. Dr. Raj Pasad, welcome to the show. Do you think Russell Brand was wise to release his statement defending himself before Channel 4 and The Times had published anything?
0: Well, as a psychiatrist, um, a professional psychiatrist, a doctor, I'm not really allowed to comment directly about the mental state and what's going on in the minds of major public figures, people I haven't actually interviewed myself and got their permission. But what I can talk about is as a psychiatrist in private practice, I have had many celebrities, and still do, um, who come to see me, and sometimes they end up in a scandal, a bit like Russell Brand, and they come and see me for advice and help and how to negotiate their way through uh, the scandal. And when you're trapped in the media spotlight, as I've dealt with several celebrities who've found themselves in that situation, they have a team of people, if they have money, that is, public relations, lawyers, that kind of thing, and they and I'm often the psychiatrist in the background. So I can comment from my experience of knowing what it's like to be on the inside, as it were, the inner circle of this kind of situation. And what I can tell you is when this kind of story breaks, the immediate advice from the highly paid lawyers is don't say anything for various legal reasons. But there's also a very good psychological reason. Um, remember that lawyers, a bit like psychiatrists, take the view that their clients are basically liars until proven otherwise. So the client comes and says, I'm innocent. These journalists are making stuff up about me. And the lawyer's thinking, "Mm, you might not be quite so innocent. So be careful about saying anything, which you're going to have to have difficulty retrenching when you end up in court, cross-examined by a barrister. So that's one of the reasons why the lawyers are very worried. In a case like this, where um, there are allegations, very serious allegations, about um, sexual assault um, the the nature of sexual assault and sexual problems and then no sense am i saying that russell brand is guilty of anything he's innocent until he found guilty of something in a court the nature of that kind of problem is it's compulsive right so when people do it they are probably doing it again and again and again so what the lawyers are thinking is i'm not entirely sure whether you're innocent or not but maybe there's an army of women out there who've yet to come forward Okay. So be careful. If you say something, go online and try to defend yourself. That army of women who have been quiet up until now may get annoyed by your attempt to defend yourself and may come forward. It may be when they come forward, they're not necessarily being entirely truthful either. But whatever you do, don't spark a backlash where people come forward and more allegations occur. Because ultimately, in this situation, it's trial by public opinion right? I mean, even if you go to court and four women have come forward and let's say, for argument's sake, their cases get dismissed. If there were 25 other women who we haven't heard about, but they're in the press, right? Everyone just immediately assumes you must be guilty. No smoke without fire. So that's one of the reasons why the advice would have been whether Russell Brand heard that advice or was given that advice. I don't know. I just know from my experience of being on the inside of this, the standard advice would be don't do anything. Don't say anything. Let's wait to see what all the allegations are, and let's answer them in court. Let's not answer them outside of court. One final point I want to make, though, is that Russell Brand and people like him make a living through millions of people watching them on YouTube. And actually, there's a sense in which there's money to be made. And again, I'm not saying that he did it for this reason. When you are in the spotlight, people who make money from being on social media will be very strongly tempted to exploit that attention. Because that attention will move on mm. to another news item the week after next, and so on, so maybe they're more astute psychologically than their lawyers when they exploit the attention. um certainly, I watched um Russell Brand's YouTube video for the very first time following this story breaking. I got asked by the media to comment a bit on the psychology of how how that video came over because a lot of quite strange things happen in that video from a psychological perspective. So I watched it for the first time, and I wouldn't have watched it if it hadn't been for these allegations so. I think there's all sorts of things like that going on in the background.
1: Interesting. That's a really interesting point um about just maybe he was exploiting it. I'm just looking now. So it was a short video, the short like I guess I can give a youtuber perspective uh, and it was the video entitled so this is happening and I'm just looking now it does have significantly more views than well anything since uh, I'm just checking if it's if it's one of his most popular ever. Uh it's in his sort of top 15 already and it it will, it will grow over the next few years um, because the other ones have had years to grow it is short like two and a half minutes or so so those ones don't tend to get as much revenue as a uh, you have to be it has to be over eight minutes uh, on YouTube to be able to put extra ads in the middle of it but it's a really good point I hadn't it hadn't crossed my mind actually which is silly really because it's my job that's what I do as well but that part of him would have been going. Well, I might be going down anyway, so let's go down on a blitz and get an extra. Well, that's two point two million views. I, I would, ha- I'd have no idea how much that would be, but I think probably in the thousands, yeah. um, an extra few thousand for him, relatively small though. But I guess, I guess, if he had just stayed quiet, people would have formed opinion against him anyway. So you can't, you can't really win, can you, in that position? Yeah,
0: yeah. um But there's all sorts of dangers in in, in going on video because obviously. Um It's a short video. Therefore, people are going to interpret a lot more the small amount they've got because a lot is being left unsaid. So, for example, one of the things that he said, which I thought as a psychiatrist, I'm very interested in, because, again, I'm involved in court cases where there's a sexual assault allegation. He did this thing, which is a little bit of a classic defense that you see. And again, I'm not saying the man's guilty. He's innocent until, you know, he, he's faced his day in court. But he kind of hinted very heavily um and i think it's quite an important part of the video where he said something like you know um everyone knew i was promiscuous right and um what is he saying between the lines and he even said something like you know i was really open about that in fact sometimes maybe i was too open right again what what was going on there what's going on between the lines it feels a little bit like a classic defense you see when when people face this allegation in court which is kind of like um the, the defense goes a bit like this um I invited her up for coffee, okay? So she knew what was coming. She knew what was on the cards, right? Um everyone knew I was really promiscuous. So if you come as a woman into my dressing room, you know what's coming next because everyone knew, okay? So it's kind of like a classic defense which is um me having my reputation, you deciding to be alone in a in a room with me, you're sending me a message, okay? And I just interpret that message a certain way. It's not my fault, okay? And you see that a lot. I invited her up for coffee. She said she, she said yes. Therefore, what did she think was going to happen, right? So that that's a classic defence. It's not really a great defence legally, but it, you see it wheeled out. The other thing that you see a lot again, I'm not saying that Russell Brand is is guilty, but for people who find themselves in this predicament who sometimes are found guilty, they seem to think consent has been given at that moment. I invited her up for coffee. She said yes. And kind of like that means consent's been given. They did not seem to realise actually people are entitled to withdraw consent at any time. Okay, and that's a really crucial idea in in the kind of sexual assault allegation. And I got a bit worried um, when he was talking a bit about the kind of like everyone knew who I was, right? So what is he, what's he trying to? What's he hinting at? What's he trying to say at that point? I don't know exactly. But one interpretation is he's saying you, you're any woman knows I'm a guy that you know. Um, is promiscuous therefore if you are alone in a room with me or are sending me certain signals then the game is on kind of thing as there's my sense Mm -hmm. of what i got and i think many psychologists and psychiatrists will be thinking maybe along those lines about that defense so the problem is when you do this kind of video you mount a defense but you know it can be interpreted in lots of different ways and sometimes people who are very confident and used to getting their ideas over and being very successful having an impact don't realize that there's sometimes more negative interpretations of what they're saying they're less aware of that i think
1: was it um easy or or difficult to analyze maybe his body behavior and the kinds of things he was doing in the video given that his base behavior behavior is quite strange and different anyway with his hands I've, I've sort of mimicked his hands as a joke sometimes they're everywhere the hands he's very much like the i've heard you talk about parasocial interactions. so you could talk about that as well in this answer i suppose but what what is it to you you're watching him and, and how are you Comparing him to how he is in other videos.
0: Well, yeah. And in fact, I've been criticized in my interpretation of that by people who are fans of his who watch many of his videos. Because I I thought that one thing you want to do if you're going to shoot a video like this is come over calm and relaxed. Because you're kind of like brushing off the allegation. I've got nothing to fear here, right? These are ridiculous allegations. I'll have my day in court. I'll be proven innocent. If that's your position, then there's no need to be alarmed, right, kind of thing. Okay, so come over as serene, like a Zen Buddhist monk would be my argument in terms of if you're going to make this video. And I have been on the inside of inner circles where people are discussing making videos like this. And there's a lot of public relations micro detail stuff about how you do it, where you shoot, what's the background, what do you wear, all that stuff. Okay, so one of the things that certainly would be discussed is whatever you do, come over as relaxed, don't come over as anxious. I thought. Came over as anxious. Now, people have said to me afterwards, he always comes over as anxious. Okay. So you can't make any interpretation about that. But my view would be if you always come over as anxious, look particularly relaxed on this occasion, mm. is what I w- would argue. Anyway, so he, he does gesticulate and look to, I think, someone like a psychologist, a psychiatrist, lots of different possible interpretations. But he does seem to me as quite an anxious performer. And maybe that's his charm and maybe that's his energy. But he, he looked as anxious as he normally looks if we can put it that way and i just wondered a bit about that because i i would think the correct strategy if you are facing very serious allegations but you're completely confident you can rebut them would be to try to look as relaxed as possible that sends the correct signal i think but there's a lot of debate and i'm a part of that debate um uh in, in behind behind the scenes and in part of the inner circle of the public relations people and the lawyers. And the celebrity involved in this kind of media maelstrom.
1: Yeah, well, you'll be getting some pushback, and I've seen some of the you know angry comments and things. But then I got death threats. I mean, I've spoken about Israel, Palestine, spoken about this and that, all these different things. And then Russell Brand that brought me death threats. Really? Because people were so divided and binary, yeah. whereas the other stuff people were more understanding. Well, 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 well why um, did
0: you get death threats? What was it you said that attracted that? If I'm allowed to ask, um, attracted the death I,
1: threats. I, yeah yeah well I just I just criticized I just I I I said um that I think I tried to play both sides a little bit sure. so I got called a by, let's call it the left and the right, I know that's simplifying it very much, but on the left I was called a, a rape apologist, and on the right I was I was uh, damning him before he was found guilty, and these kind of, trial by media, which then I've explained that trial, okay, we don't want a trial by media, or as you say, trial by public opinion, well, but it, it's not totally irrelevant or useless either, I mean, the, the media and public opinion brought Epstein to justice, yeah. the, you know, without that, the police, the authorities, they're not looking into it, they don't care, well, uh, so media opinion is quite important, it's well, it's, it's not everything and we need to know about its limits we need to consider that oh. but i was just saying things like that and people went bananas just going, he's Assad," or you're you don't believe the women on the other side mm. I'm, like, I'm not saying either of those things mm. you need to be able to have a conversation mm. um, but, but, but I, I, yeah it's, that's a very good go point on. i
0: want to talk a bit about that because that then leans into conspiracy theories because the, 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 which one of the things that is kind of his brand right we'll, we'll get to that in, in a minute but the reason I'm really interested, and I think it's important that we actually discuss these things even before we discover whether people are innocent or guilty, is sexual assault is a widespread problem. Okay, and it can be as micro as you go to the pub, you get a bit drunk, there's some kind of like fumbled encounter, and um, people are left um, less than happy or upset afterwards. And so, if we want to try and tackle this big unsaid or undiscussed problem celebrities in this kind of trouble allow us to have a conversation about that and what i began by talking about signals what is a signal the ambiguity of a signal i invited her up for coffee she said yes therefore i assumed she understood what she was saying yes to that's a really important thing for people men and women to have a chat about discussing that you know for girls to say, listen, if you invite me up for coffee, I assumed it was coffee and nothing else. And guys are going, well, are you crazy? That problem about, um, which is part of everyday life. In everyday conversation, you have a coffee with someone, um, and they say something. What does it mean? i uh, will that's a like one between you and me. Um, you invited me to do this and I kept being very irritating. So I can't do it. I can't do it on this day. I could the next day. And I'm, I was thinking, is he thinking I'm sending him a signal? I really just don't want to do it right but you hung in there you kept giving me other days and times and then i kept saying oh i can't do that sorry got a patient emergency but you hung in there now we're talking right so i I got paranoid that paranoid that you would get a a certain interpretation and that's what particularly in britain because the the british are famous for not being clear about what they mean uh the, the americans i worked in america as a psychiatrist for a while have this problem they don't realize that i mean in america if someone's furious with you they'll tell you they're furious with you and you'll know it in the uk someone could be furious with you and you'd never know it the, the 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 idea of being furious with someone in the uk the closest you come to saying i hate you is to say i'm really disappointed by what you just did that that's code for you're dead.
1: This is this is the difference between high context and low context cultures whereby high context cultures have a communication style based on body language, tone and overall context while low context cultures are more straightforward and explicit in communication wow that's
0: That's very well there you go
1: (laughs) I'm explicitly trying to impress you Uh, I know I wasn't annoyed uh, by by you changing the dates and stuff you're a psychiatrist (laughs) and you've got stuff going on plus I've got I do an interview nearly every day now and there's always it's just always happening you know people have got stuff people things come up so it is no it wasn't even on my mind in that sense it was just okay we'll we'll talk another day Um, but I know what you mean I always overanalyze these things and think too much about them Um, and another another interesting point I, 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 I I've heard you made actually I've heard you make is about him being too intelligent in a sense maybe that's why he didn't it, people might have been advising him maybe he didn't listen there was a great book called The Intelligence Trap by David Robson that I love which suggests that people who are more intelligent are more likely to make mistakes because they are so confident in, in themselves. Is that something you've uh, found with, with well, high-profile celebrities, intelligent people?
0: There was a very interesting moment in Russell Brand's video, where the, this video we're discussing, where he says that the, some of the allegations he said were baroque. Baroque is a very interesting word to use. And again, psychiatrists and psychologists are in grave danger of overanalyzing things. But on the other hand, the devil is in the detail. Now, vocabulary and the use of rare words is a vast psychological literature about this stuff. Okay, if you want to signal being high IQ, uh, um, the the best way to do that in a if you're on a date, a bit of a hot tip here, and you're trying to impress someone, you're very very intelligent. Use a rare word, and the evidence is in terms of people's assessment of your intelligence. It's massive in terms of making people think, oh, this must be a really bright person. So, so you could use a rare word like baroque. Um, because you're trying to manipulate the audience into thinking you're very bright. Or you could just be really bright and have this vast vocabulary. But the signal, therefore, about Baroque and therefore the link with high IQ raises a question um, that sometimes really bright people fall into traps. And one trap is that you're brighter than everyone else in the room. I mean, if you're the brightest person in the room, why would you listen to um, anyone else? And so the inner circle who might have been advising Russell Brand, please don't make the video. He might have ignored them because he thinks he may well have been the brightest person in the room. Just because you're the brightest person in the room doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to advice from less bright people who just may have a lot more experience um, than uh, you in this particular situation. So the word "barot" was fascinating. What does it mean? Does it tell us he's very high IQ? Does it tell us he's trying to manipulate us into thinking he's very high IQ? And if you are very high IQ, do you think you're smarter than the women that you invite into your dressing room? I'm not saying he's guilty of anything, okay? And as a result of that, you believe that you can, because you're smarter than these women, if anything happens at untoward, you can wriggle out of any legal problem in the future because you're just smarter. Than them. And again, what you see again and again, and I'm not saying he's guilty. But in sexual assault cases that end up in court and have been involved in those, the man does it because he believes that if she's upset afterwards, he can smooze her or bamboozle her and fool her into thinking she hasn't got a case and nothing untoward really happened. It was all her fault. You do see, and that's a grave danger with the high IQ uh, serial uh, sexual predator. In no sense am I making an allegation about Mr. brand
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I can see you're concerned about that, and understandably so. Whoa. But I mean, look, I, I don't have the same uh, level of, I don't know what the word would be. Pr- propriety is that the word, <laughs> um, or uh, responsibility, Chief. duty, care. Whoa. I've got nothing. I'm just like, who cares what I say or do? Cool. Uh, and I, I think I can say that, in my opinion, he. We don't know about the the allegations about the crimes, but he's certainly guilty of what we would consider to be immoral behaviour. I don't want us to start gathering around anyone who's immoral. I used to live in Berlin, of course. That you know, the Stasi. It's no good. We don't want that kind of thing. But there were certainly many people who were victims who might not say it was a crime committed, but who who are telling us now they're extremely unhappy with the way they were treated by him, and that's what led me to feel. Confident in criticizing him, and that's what led to me getting death threats and things. While I can't speak to the actual criminal allegations. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. I wonder when he didn't do that, when he didn't listen to people about the video or whatever, he just went and did that video... I suppose it might be that he doesn't have people around him. He's gone off the radar a little bit. He's, you know, he, he still is in films. I mean, people say he's alternative media. He's in the Minions film. He's in Hollywood. He's recently was in BBC Channel 4, all these things. So he's not that off the radar. But to an extent, he is. He does what I do, parasocial interaction with the audience. There's something I, I'm now calling reciprocal social interaction, which I feel like is a step further than parasocial re- interaction. You, you, the viewer talks back, and you talk to each other. So he would be so used to that as i am and i think if i was accused of something i maybe i'd get on the phone to you now that i know you (laughs) what do i do but i might just go right flick the camera on this didn't happen you know so maybe he's just so used to that and that's what he does
0: yeah again people who score high on narcissism i'm not saying he's a narcissist but people generally speaking are in front of the camera good looking people like you tend to score hard Come on down. narcissism <laughs> narcissism is a is a personality a trait well described in psychology and psychiatry very powerful predictive future behavior narcissists are in love with themselves they're self-obsessed they believe they're wonderful they're really impressed with with themselves and um they are great on a first date because that kind of self-confidence is very attractive and alluring they, they it wears very thin by the 10th date um, but basically um narcissists or um, also suffer. This is a, a feature of narcissism, not not so widely known, but a very strong thing that comes out in all the research. Um, score very high on impulsivity, got very poor impulse control. So that's one of the reasons they land themselves in trouble. Okay, they're tempted mm. by um, something, and he might have been tempted. Uh, maybe I don't know. Um, by and and many people in front of the camera are tempted because of this poor impulse control to try and fix something. The other thing they don't like because they love being loved. They don't like being hated. They don't want to do something about it. And it's better to sometimes just let it slide and accept you're not going to be a particular popular person. They just tolerate that and, and, and learn to tolerate the stress of that. But, but people who score higher narcissism, really, that's like almost a physical injury for people to say something negative about you and to not be liked. Um, they, they find that very difficult to cope with. So that's another thing that might lead people to impulsively, um, act. Something out. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll disguise this anecdote to protect the confidentiality of the person more. but I was in the middle of a consultation with a very, very wealthy, high net worth, very prominent figure in the city, uh, the financial part of the economy in the UK. And um, in the middle of the consultation about something else, he takes a phone call from his public relations people who say that a journalist from a major national newspaper had, had rung them up making very serious allegations of financial impropriety and the public relations people, because they're being paid large sums of money, have prepared a press release that they want to send out straight away. So he puts the phone down, and I said, look, I'm sorry, it's none of my business, but I overheard the conversation. Can I just counsel you that can we talk about this a bit? Because I'm not sure issuing a press release is that great an idea. So we talked about it for a bit. I had to make the point that because the PR people, public relations, are being paid vast sums of money, they want to earn that money by doing work. So preparing a press Uh. release justifies the big fat fee okay so um what happened was he was very panicky about the idea of doing nothing because he wanted to punch back i pointed out to him that if he just didn't respond to the journalist then the journalist had nothing to go on and, and i argued it was a bit of a fishing expedition i did a very basic thing that the pr people who are very highly paid didn't think about doing we googled the name of the journalist and it was not a journalist who was working for that newspaper they claimed he claimed to be working for so basically he was a freelancer right a freelancer is much more likely to be on a fishing expedition if you see what i mean trying to to to, to, yeah. to to bring a story to the party and the other thing was the journalist didn't even specialize in finance, finance so you know um i i i thought it was a real fishing expedition and i said that and he said well there's a gamble i said life's a gamble i'm suggesting you sit tight let's wait and see um and uh you know first thing in the morning i i, I messaged him i said is there anything in the papers he said no <laughs> so, um it, it proves it proves that sometimes doing nothing is sometimes the best thing of all. Uh, it's a very powerful strategy, Difficult. doing nothing. Um, uh, mm. And But it's actually very powerful in negotiation in life, generally speaking. I, I get brought in by no. people in private equity deals trying to negotiate uh, big deals. And they uh, I often get this advice, um, which is, you know, they make an offer for something, a company, and the company comes back and says, your offer is ridiculous. Um, and then they want to make a offer. My party wants to make a, a counter. I say, do nothing. Okay. Look, look like you walked away from the table. Okay. And days go by and they go, this is terrible. You know, we have lost the deal five days. Then the, the company comes back and accepts the offer. So, you know, doing nothing is sometimes a very powerful thing to do. It makes the other people paranoid.
1: It's easier to do when you're in more control, isn't it? So if there's a business deal that you don't actually care that much about, it's much easier to just sit there and be, the, you know, yeah, otherwise. The power
0: of, it, of going, doing nothing is it looks like you don't care, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's a correlation, I suppose, between those who actually really don't care and those who, so yeah, really, really difficult one. It's, it's fascinating hearing these things because I'm waiting for when my big celebrity scandal, if I, if I ever get to the status of celebrity, I think I need a million subscribers for that. Uh. What, what that scandal might be I'll, I'll have to call you as well but doing nothing would be very very difficult because I, I think i would immediately want to come out and say hey this is not and i'm sure even though i'm listening to you say this i'm sure i would i i, I would find that very difficult i don't know if that's because i have a narcissistic tendency i don't know if that's because i don't like people thinking badly of me whatever it is i'd have to come out and say no no that's not right what they're saying unless it secretly was but I don't have any of these kinds of addictions and things that Russell Brand has. I don't have any of that kind of uh, – I, I just sort of sit around and don't really go out much. He seems to have yeah, a bit of a – go on.
0: What were you going to say? Yeah, you're, a cha- you're, you're a charming guy. You're used to charming people, I suspect. sorry to could be blunt and direct with you. It's my style. You're used to charming people. Therefore, you're used to using your charm to make your way through the world. And I have no doubt you're very successful at it. But mm. sometimes you've got to back away from it and not, not – not, not, um, not pick up that weapon i'm often shouting through a megaphone to people put the weapon down and step away from the vehicle Man,
1: i see i don't know i don't yeah i don't know that i am charming you know because i don't know if it's ever worked uh, any kind of charm in my life until the youtube really? is working now but yeah in my real life whenever people just sort of go oh shut up so that that's that's how i feel anyway maybe that's a victimhood
0: complex um okay sorry to get gory with you but i'm a psychiatrist i'm allowed to get gory you're charming on a date i think you're very i I suspect you're very charming on a date
1: no i never was and the only one and i know it sounds like i'm being modest or whatever or, or some sort of false humility uh but i think my fiance now is the only one who would have me uh and that, oh, I see. that, that okay. was fortunate and that was like 10 years ago anyway so but before that i think uh yeah one date was all it took to, to not to want i don't know i don't know i've I made i was young and probably in, probably quite in, intense and and um and too too open oh that's i'm sounding like russell brand now too open i've just been too open all the time um was russell brand there's there's a sense of um and look i'm not comparing him to jimmy savile but the jimmy savile film with Coogan, Steve Coogan is out. The series that's out. People are talking about stuff at the moment. Is there a, a sense of hiding in plain sight? He told us for years, Russell, just as Jimmy did, about very different levels of crime. I don't want people commenting, going, "You compare." I think you can compare two things that are very, very different in in, in ex- levels of extreme um, intensity. So. But is, what is this hiding in plain sight? Is it like well, I told
0: you anyway? Well, uh, the, with the Jimmy Savile story, apparently there were several anecdotes about how he would say things about girls' schools and not being popular at girls' schools and, and hint very heavily um, that he had a predilection. Um, and I think that this hiding in plain sight is often men of a certain character make a joke about their sex drive and their interest in women. Um, and sometimes that can be done in a charming way, but it did seem as though with some of these people we're discussing it was a tad relentless, but maybe again is that like a benefit with hindsight thing, you know, um point. But um certainly um I do think that um the hiding in plain sight thing is about another problem, which is that celebrity tends to make people seem attractive. And if people seem attractive there's a kind of like unconscious stuff that goes on in our head, which is if this is a very attractive, desirable, famous, wealthy man um, who stars in films or is on TV all the time, then any woman or any person should be grateful to have that person's attention, right? It's almost like they're doing you a favor to hang out with you type thing is going on. Um, so that's another reason why there's a sense of which they can hide in plain sight, because there's a huge amount of um acceptance of their desirability um, and therefore there's an automatic series of assumptions there that it's unlikely these are sexual predators because our view of sexual predators is that these are not desirable people, people who are choosing to pursue women precisely because they can't get a date full stop which is a totally incorrect sense um wealthy famous good-looking people can be sexual predators as well in fact maybe even more likely to be because they're more likely to find themselves in a room alone with people, um, and then it all begins to go wrong because their 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 predilection comes out in a more um, um um horrible way. So that's part of the the hiding in plain sight thing I think that's going on. We make an assumption that if someone's attractive and desirable, that they they don't have to pursue something in some kind of dreadful uh, caddish um. Uh, or, or even illegal manner, but that's not the truth. There are all sorts of assumptions we make psychologically that land us in trouble. Mm. I think
1: I've I've literally heard friends of mine when I, when somebody's been outed as a predator or even for underage girls and things like that. Uh, I've heard people say, "No, no, he's way too good looking for, for that." And it's like, what? Well, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. It's just, uh, you know the, the assumption then is, as you say, because someone can't get a date, that's why they do these horrible uh yeah. horrible things so yeah that is, it's a whole it's a whole mess can can you have a sex addiction because obviously russell talks himself about having a sex addiction addiction to say or is that just some men can't control themselves
0: so that's an excellent question and again i got criticized um about that in in the, the interview i gave um but i want to emphasize that 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 was the headline that the people who made the video. I didn't write the headline. We never, mm-hmm. we never write headlines. You, you may do, but I don't yeah. when I'm interviewed or write uh, write an article. I get criticised for articles i in the press about the headline. I, you don't write the headline. You suggest a headline, but it's never the one that ends up ab- over your article. So they, the the headline was about sex addiction as a defence. Now he doesn't explicitly mention sex addiction, but my understanding is he has talked about oh, yeah. sex addi- addiction in the past, and this is not that unusual not an exact defense but but people bring this up to sort of indicate and signal psychologically that there's a sense in which they're a victim themselves okay it's not me i didn't choose this i'm a victim i've got a disease and psychiatry and psychology are beset with this fundamental problem which is that if you believe in diagnosis like the diagnosis of heroin addiction the heroin addict to some extent is allowed to wriggle out of personal responsibility for bad decisions they make. So this is a central tension in the whole world of psychology and psychiatry, um, uh, Whether diagnosis is an unhelpful idea because it, 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 it helps people escape from taking personal responsibility. But um, having said that, the other thing that people don't realize is, is words like addiction are used very, very loosely in everyday language. It's got a very narrow technical definition. Um, and one of the things about addiction is that um, you're meant, let's say you start doing heroin. The first fi- for, I'm just using this as an analogy. You, the first few times you do heroin, you get this tremendous buzz from it. right? I'm not um, condoning heroin or, or uh. um, encouraging people. But after a while, when you start to get addicted, sorry, I just had
1: had a a vision in my head of using just that (laughs) clip. Doctor Raj is when you first try it, it really is wonderful. (laughs) Please
0: get in touch. Get in touch if you'd like some. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, um, so then what happens is, after a while, as you get into the thing, it stops being something that delivers pleasure. It's just something that starts to deliver relief from the withdrawal symptoms okay and then your life turns in upside down and turns into a nightmare just just chasing the relief after a while of not withdrawing that is an addiction okay it's not fun anymore it's just uh, an attempt to stop the withdrawal so Mm. for sex addiction to work as an idea it's not fun anymore you're just doing it to um, avoid withdrawal you can immediately begin to see there's some problems here with transferring the 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 model of heroin and alcohol to to sex but certainly what these people are trying to argue and i'm going to get into trouble with all the therapists who specialize in this area because they believe it's a real thing um these people are so compulsive that they end up destroying their lives so they lose jobs they lose marriages etc they're out of control so that's one of the reasons why some people say it must be a disease, because why would you throw away your life, your marriage, your job um, for a series of brief, um, unsatisfying sexual encounters? I would say the jury is still out as to whether sex addiction is a real thing. That's my opinion. I'm going to get pilloried for saying that. Um, but, I, but I think we've got to be careful and, and, and you've got to be careful to make sure that the diagnosis, if it's real, has been made by a proper professional and that there's no hidden agenda. Because, you know, um, th- th- there's always that problem uh, with psychology and psychiatry diagnosis because there's no blood test. If there's no blood test, how do you make the diagnosis? And it's always arguable, basically. So I'm not a big fan of sex addiction as, as an idea. I'm not a big fan of it as, uh, because I think it can be too easily wheeled out as a defense for inappropriate behavior.
1: I think it's bollocks personally and and uh, as well. And and one of the reasons for that is because I do have an addiction to like nose sprays. I've got this like Sudafed thing. Uh or other brands are available if you want to get addicted to them <laughs> just for people i've got no preference of the the thing you want to be addicted to but it's it's a physical with it's a physical thing right it's it's there's obviously a psychological element but because of, if you take it for more than two days your nose oh. it gets to such a point that every few hours you have to take it otherwise you you complete your face will like explode and a lot of people are addicted to these things and it's a lack of education and also just people don't know what to do with allergies anyway so they end up just on it all the time um I can imagine heroin is, but, but, mm, yeah,
0: can I just pick you up on that point? There, there are some people, I have seen this in my clinical practice, who are compulsively pursuing sex to the extent they land in a lot of trouble. Okay. And, and they may have got a problem that needs treatment, but they land in trouble long before they end up facing some kind of allegation like this. Okay. So that's why I'm a little bit worried it can be a convenient explanation because if it really is an addiction, you should have had a whole series of problems, not necessarily some kind of media spotlight, but you know, um, uh, you you missed a TV show. You were booked to be on because you were having sex in the dressing room. Mm. Okay, that would be an example and then you, you lost the contract. Okay? That, that stuff that did happen to has- Russell
1: Brand. That, that actually did. Okay. So I think he might be, if, if it does exist, he probably is a prime candidate. But what, I guess the point I was going to make about the Sudafed or the heroin is that uh, it is very physical as well. Like, you, you know, people die on a heroin with withdrawal, don't they? And they have to have milder drugs and things like that. Whereas sex, as you were saying, there's no blood test. There's no physical thing. It's just the psychological, which I'm sure can be very strong. There, there were bits of from Russell Brand where, where he had written about i can't remember where this was found but he had written things like uh, having a go at himself being you know you've ruined another tv chance you've messed this up because of your behavior you've fucked up again um you idiot kind of thing so i think he if there is sex addiction it seems like he he is as prime a candidate as it gets he he missed he messed up so many opportunities because he was mm-hmm. off doing that but you
0: know, well, that's a bit of evidence in favour of the idea. Then, yeah, that it, but, but again, again, that's only one bit of evidence. There's a whole lot of other evidence one would look at before arriving at the conclusion hmm. someone's got that particular diagnosis. But that actually is an evidence in favour of that proposition. I would say. Hmm.
1: Yeah, if it exists, it is that thing, isn't it? When when you label things, it does give people a bit of an excuse to wallow. And I know that sounds well, again, it's a, there's a left versus right thing here again, and it sounds a little bit unsympathetic. But I know there are certain parts and things in my life. You know, I had a, I had a neck problem. And I finally started properly sorting it out. But I've been, to, to all intents and purposes, I've been almost disabled. I haven't been able to walk more than 10 minutes without being like, oh, no, I better go home. So, but, And if somebody had diagnosed that, oh, you've got such and such condition, and that's just how your neck is, I wouldn't have done anything about it. But because I'm sitting there going, no, I've got to sort this out. I've got a physio coming every week now to the house, and he's, he's telling me to do certain muscles and build up. And it's fixing it. So I do think there can be and what's with my professional opinion i think there can be too much labeling going on what do you think my fellow psychiatrist i
0: agree I, i agree i agree completely having said that you made a very astute point about the key point is not the diagnosis with the neck thing but perform an action to do something about it so even if you can defend the idea i had a sex addiction let's say what did you do about it did you go for treatment there's there's handling the disorder in a responsible manner. You know, you, you can say to the police, I'm an alcoholic. That's why I was drinking and driving. And that's why, you know, I crashed the car. But what did you do about the fact you had an alcohol? Did you go for treatment? If you threw everything you had at treatment and spent all your time trying to get treated and you still ended up in trouble, that's a better defense than simply weeding out the diagnosis. It's not good enough just to say I had a diagnosis. The issue is, what did you do about it, given you had the diagnosis? Let's
1: say sex addiction is real or on the cusp of being real. Um, why can't these people just masturbate? What is it about sex with another person that is, that is making them so... And I'm not trying to suggest I don't understand what can be nice about sex. I'm just saying to have it where it's painful if you're not out. Is it, is it a dominance thing? Is it needing to be loved? What's going on?
0: Yes. So I'm going to answer that by giving you a famous quote that was attributed to Oscar Wilde, but it's controversial as to whether he actually said it. He basically said everything in life is basically about sex, except for sex, which is about power. And I think there's something really interesting about that statement. Um, so when you said, why don't they just do have sex with themselves? <laughs> I would say there's a reason because for them, it's about you mentioned the word domination, which shows you a very astute psychologist, really, um, that, that there's something about power that's involved in, 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 in this. Um, and that is what they are addicted to, to some extent. So that's why it has to be something involving other people. Um, and I do think there's something, again, this is why it's important we discuss these things. There's a choreography in all relationships um, because there's a dominant submission thing that's going on in all relationships, I think, sometimes it's an extreme end or a pathological end, obviously, in some. But even in people who are having normal relationships, there's a dominance-passivity thing. And um, what film should we go and see tonight? Oh, I don't want to see Barbie. I think we should see Barbie. And you submit, you know, in the nicest possible way mm. to that. There's a dominance-submission thing going on all the time in all relationships. And we need to have a conversation about that, about how when, when that works healthily and when it's not healthy, because it can, it, can, it can become unhealthy, um, and that choreography. Um, I, I only know about this. I want to honestly emphasise not because I've been there, but my patients tell me about this. I live vicariously through my patients and the wildlife they have. Given I work private practice on Holly Street, there apparently is an S and M club. S and M being a particular predilection for fetishes, um, uh, called Torture Garden. I think I think it's called Torture Garden, which is a cracking title, isn't it? Mm. A name for a club. And apparently, um, you my my clients who've been there dress up. Um, in the fetish gear, you have to dress up to get into the club. They won't let you in unless you're dressed correctly. To get into the club, the guy outside the door asks you a question. I'm going to ask you that question. and You have to give the first answer that comes to mind. Mm. Are you ready? Yeah. The question is master or slave?
1: Uh, I was going to say master because it's just the first word and then I sound like a dick.
0: You see, you're overthinking it straight away. You're overthinking it. But also, I think I do
1: overthink it, and I would say that I'm I'm biased in this because when I do YouTube, I'm always one. There are words that, if you use, um, it can sometimes demonetize you and get your channel into trouble. Mm-hmm. And so, throughout our talking, I'm thinking, okay, uh, heroin that might do it, but get us into uh, trouble. We've, yeah yeah but but maybe they'll think i'm talking about like a female hero and that's okay so like my mind is it's now been years and years so it's trained for any word that's in any way contentious I, to be like don't word say that's that's that
0: word besides torture garden. Oh,
1: oh, every every interview we do, i do there's like okay. 20 of them okay. so but but they, it's, it's getting a bit uh, <laughs> it's getting better but yeah even I'm gonna i mean, amazing, saying that, I, don't I
0: keep saying it too often
1: latex i think latex is fine i'd be surprised if youtube have added that to their sort of artificial intelligence list of words not to be said but um i think that i am biased in a way where a word like slave and the concept of slavery is something that i'm already disinclined to to use as
0: a word i think all of that was a massive rationalization (laughs) sometimes rationalizations (laughs) are rational one person said rationalization is more important than sex and someone said why'd you say that then you go have you ever gone a day without a rationalization (laughs) (laughs) well that's true
1: but does that so okay so the the reason you asked me that question go on
0: is because master and slave there's a sense in which there's that dynamic in all relationships intimate friendship etc etc and the argument is i mean obviously that's an extreme way of putting it but it goes back to my point about a power dynamic um and there's a sense in which what's healthy and what's unhealthy in that power dynamic um, and I argue in books I've written on relationships that there's a choreography in relationships um and that people need to be able to swap for relationships to work they need to be able to give up the the, the master slave thing and swap swap roles as it were um for it to work Interesting. and I, I think that relationships that don't work very well uh there's a real problem uh with that by the way, the reason why that master slave question is really useful is if you go out in a group of people for the night <laughs> if you ask everyone around the group let's say five people master or slave master or slave if you've got five masters it's not going to work well if you've got five slaves it's not going to work well a mixture is better
1: i just feel like people wouldn't want to admit to the slave part because it it implies sort of a a, this is something i get i get called a lot by angry trolls on the internet (laughs) they often use words that are popular in um incel you know involuntary celibate circles and so they'll beta and simp and cuck so I'm constantly being c- c- told I'm a cuck, I'm a b- beta male, I'm a, I'm a simp, and all these things. I think a lot of, particularly men, uh, and, and women as well, actually, I don't think they want to be seen as this submissive slave. And often if, in the sexual fetish area, the sort of slave idea is actually dominant in an, in another way. If you know, it's sort of it's overtly sexual at least.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I so I always say slave. When I'm asked master or slave, but you know, I'm well used to it now. I. I, I uh... Uh... I play this game often with people
1: yeah you you weird guy. No, i'm joking <laughs> well there you go no it's a fascinating i i like that i imagine people everyone's listening and and anyone listening won't know that dr raj is is dressed head to toe in latex right now and so i I, I think look i should latex. make that. you keep saying latex <laughs> it's the room kind of latex. It's gonna be wet look latex honestly that's what <laughs> that's what he's got on so anyone who's just listening do tune in on the youtube version if you want to see that you, you yeah something you shouldn't i miss. squeak when i um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've had to mute those sounds out unfortunately <laughs> oh god right what have you done to me dr raj you've yes. brought us in, into a reprehensible I brought you down. area i brought you down you've done it <laughs> yeah yeah you're you're this is not like interviews with dr Shahom. <laughs> this is this is far more deviant yeah sorry
0: sorry would you expect uh, me to talk to a psychiatrist it was gonna go gory yeah. it's always gonna go gory well,
1: doc- dr Shahom's very very straight
0: and narrow is he i'm sorry to hear that He's he's my
1: other my other psychiatrist. Oh, buddy. you've been
0: two timing me with another therapist. Mm, mm.
1: Well he's the, he's he's been on quite a few times. He'll he'll be probably annoyed. To this see I've interviewed you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know him, Dr. Shahamdas? Uh yeah, no, he rings the bell. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good he's a good he's a good fella. Uh-huh. He's a good fella. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted to ask you about something you've been um looking into as well. Prince Harry, uh, obviously is quite a famous person. And uh what were you saying about his therapist, Gabor Maté, is it, who, uh, and, and how he's maybe not been giving Harry the full truth about things?
0: Well, uh, this was an interesting one for me because, again, I like to use these things that are very much in the public eye to try and communicate to the public um, things that um, are difficult to talk about otherwise, which is what is therapy? The, the interview, which was meant to publicise both parties' books, the therapist's book, has got a book out, and so has um, Harry um and um a lot of the conversation was about therapy and harry was a big fan of therapy it seemed and they kept talking about therapy and the first point i had to make was i kept using the word therapy in a very like like there's basically 450 different schools of psychotherapy so you can't use the word therapy and be any clearer if you know anything about the field to know exactly what was going on so that was the first thing that was a bit worrying about the conversation for people who are really expert they would never say oh i had therapy for 10 years therapy is a great idea they would say something like you know i had anger management issues and first of all i tried this therapy it didn't work then i tried that therapy and then finally you know i i tried this therapy and it worked they'd be specific it's a bit like saying you know drugs are a great idea no it depends on the particular drug you might take an antibiotic is a great idea if you've got pneumonia an antibiotic is not a great idea if you have some kind of like weird neck pain and there's no infection so there were, that, there were that generic sense in which they kept discussing therapy that made me slightly alarmed and made me worried about whether the so-called therapist really was a therapist. And when I tried to research uh, the good doctor, it was very difficult to find his academic and clinical background. There had no sense casting any aspersions that is, he's not a proper doctor. But whether he was um, actually qualified in the field of psychiatry or psychology, I found very difficult uh, to get to the bottom of. Um, and the other thing is, their understanding of what therapy was is what we would call a very old-fashioned model it was like we're going to discuss your childhood and we're going to do a lot of tea and sympathy and it's going to be a lot of dear dear sorry to hear that whereas the modern version of what therapy is it's much more robust much more challenging and it's much more you need to go and do something about this rather than Mm -hmm. feel sorry for yourself there was a lot of feeling sorry and sympathy and kind of like the idea that therapy is about being kind in a in a in a very um uh kind of warm and cuddly way and therapy can be about being kind and it can be about what we call tea and sympathy um but basically for people to change this is the fundamental question what is therapy for my view as a professional working in the area is that the people that come to see me want to change they want to stop having the sex addiction right they want to they want to get better at relationships etc etc but a lot of people are having therapy because they want to stay the same and they want to get validated for staying the same Mm. i I keep sleeping around with women i've got this thing called sex addiction oh i feel really sorry for you about the sex addiction thing um and basically all that's going to happen in that kind of therapy is you'll be validated to keep doing the thing that you're doing so i got worried about that central tension that i felt was going on in the conversation um and the Mm. other thing that happened which is a thing that's very in vogue at the moment is the t word got wheeled out trauma this is such an overused idea um within an affluent comfortable society and what counts as trauma in our very comfortable affluent world and prince harry's world is not trauma in the fullest sense of what trauma really is in the world to the extent that he should cause psychological trouble um proper My trauma died young yes that was a yes that's true but i mean to keep referring to that as an explanation for psychological dysfunction there comes a point at which that's not such a helpful idea i think hmm. but
1: good good get you
0: started. see you challenged me that was a good challenge
1: <laughs> well what, you know I, I i know what you're saying that you get stuck in a cycle then i saw a therapist for a while i was living in, in buenos aires which is the world capital of mm. therapy apparently mm. They're, mm. they're very freudian still which i believe is a little mm. bit Old out of date in the yeah. rest of them yeah okay. they love that stuff they love a bit of freudian therapy over they love there. it yeah um and and for a, a a westerner being over there it was incredibly affordable i'm talking about mm, yes. i mean yeah, it, not I not like your harley street rates i imagine yeah. but uh you know 10 15 pounds or dollars a session Whoa. which was also for me Uh, Not not that I have to rationalize why I went to therapy, but it was also for me a Spanish class because I got to speak in Spanish for an hour and it was a good class for me in Spanish. But I remember him saying to me after about seven or eight months, I suppose we had the, you know, not in such an emotional, exciting way, but some breakthroughs or some realizations and things like that, uh, was people come in to see him and at the beginning they start saying, he did that, she did that, my parents are that, my girlfriend's that, my boyfriend's that. And then if it's going well, within a year they start to, at least to an extent, say, I did some of this stuff, and I need to change some of these things, and it, this is, you know, maybe those people are like that, but I can't control how they are, and huh. those kinds of things. Is that something you see a lot, and is that what, why Harry, it's not helping for Harry, because he's just being reaffirmed?
0: Well, you said that very well. He said, according to you, the therapist said that people begin doing this. In about a year's time of once-a-week therapy, he's telling you people begin to change, Right. I would argue that's way too long. That, that kind of school of therapy sits back and allows you to take a year to, to develop a realization or make a change. I apologize. I'm a very pushy guy. I think it's cruel to watch people sit around and take a year to make a realization. I, I'm pushy. Within 10 minutes of you coming to see me, I want things to happen. And I wouldn't I, I... have
1: accepted it, though.
0: <laughs> well, that's his argument. That's the counter-argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why Freud... The, the original guy said you had to meet five days a week for an hour a day for, you know, years and years. Um, and there is a sense of which some people may need that. But his argument that it takes a year of you waiting around taking a year, I understand there are many therapists who back that. I I'm I deeply question that. I think that's mm. too long. And I think to well, some extent yeah. that's wasting time. I, obviously I'm exaggerating when I say expect change within a few minutes and you, you did a good challenge back about that you wouldn't have accepted it. But there's a point at which one asked the question whether a year is, if it could be done faster, is it not to your benefit to do it faster? Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tension and debate within the field definitely the longer it's drawn out the more it's to his financial benefit Absolutely. obviously least. I didn't want to say that but I was hoping that you would
1: you, well, you do you do get to a point and I'm sure a lot of people listening who've been to therapy and stuff like that and because oh. I've spoken to other people who have had this feeling you do get to a point where you feel like you're funding your therapists life and it's like well to you know to, can I can I leave him can I, is he oh. gonna be okay shall I oh. just keep inventing problems until oh. you know and and uh, you know it's, it's such an awkward thing' and, well, and, and yeah. as I was go on, go yeah, on well, well I
0: was gonna say um when I was a Group therapy, um, because back in the day, this is now, now a bit old school, to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist, you were meant to have therapy yourself. They've, they've yes. abandoned that idea. But there was actually yeah. a little grant of money in the small corner of the NHS I was working at that paid for me as a junior doctor to go and have therapy as part of my training. Okay. So I chose to have group therapy. So there was eight people meeting twice a week for an hour and a half. And I wasn't the therapist in the group. There was a proper therapist. I was a client okay hmm. so i had to first of all learn the hard way to be a patient and not a doctor um, and when i sat in the group for the first time people were introducing themselves to me and the part of the introduction was to explain how long they'd been in the group for okay so they started off with the youngest member who'd been in the group for five years then 12 years 16 years and had been in the group for 20 years i couldn't hold back i turned to the one who'd been in the group for 20 years i said what was the original problem you came with? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even remember. <laughs> I got slapped down heavily by the rest of the group. Oh. So I, I found it very helpful, and people should think about group therapy. I think it's a really powerful thing, and people don't think about it, but actually, it's, it, it works really well. But anyway, I, 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 I was in the group three years, and um, which was still like the youngest member of the group, even after three years, as it were. Then I was going to get married, and my wife is a professor of eye surgery, and has a very surgical attitude to therapy um which is she believes if you can't cut it out it doesn't exist so um she said um to me we're gonna get married uh, i can't have you going twice a week <laughs> to hang out with that bunch of losers A <laughs> phrase and so she said you're gonna have to tell them you're leaving and you know in therapy speak you've got to give six months notice so i announced i'm sorry i said really sorry about this guys but I, i'm getting married and the wife's put her foot down and I'm g- going to be leaving in six months' time. At the next session, four other people said they wanted to leave. So what had happened was that people weren't brave enough to exit. And me pulling the trigger and getting out gave them license to ask permission almost to leave, right? Wow. So something interesting happened, I think, there. That shows yeah, that please. some people want to leave or they're not sure about leaving, but they haven't got the balls, as it were, to get out. But actually, getting out the... or leaving is part of the treatment. It's 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 it's, it's a growing growth experience. You you does that make sense? To
1: the therapist.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Well,
1: yeah, but 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 this is this is a point. So this because I read. Did you read Harry's book? I read his book. Um, spare mm-hmm. and it did it it did annoy me and it did feel like just wallowing and it did feel a lot of some of the things he needed to be told I felt and I've brought this up a lot so I do apologize to listeners who've heard me talk about this a lot but there's a scene when he's in Eton and he's doing some drugs or something he goes to the bathroom he talks to a fox outside the bathroom or something like that and then he starts musing uh on how lucky everybody outside the window is because they don't have to have this life that he has that's so difficult and he's surrounded by you know Eton is outside Eton you've got Slough and Staines and these places that have levels of poverty and I know that Harry's life isn't perfect as I said his his mum died very young it was it was it was horrific and the press invasion and all these kinds of things but how is it that he's looking back all these years later nobody's even said to him mate you know, these people you know, are struggling to put food on the table. I know you've had it hard, but there wasn't even like an explanatory sentence afterwards to say anything like that.
0: Hmm. No, I agree. And, and so that was the other criticism I had of the whole experience of the therapist and him talking and the word, the word trauma, you mentioned his mum died. The, the reality is it's all competition to decide who's had the worst life. Life's brutal and cruel and, and has a toughness to it. And I don't think it's wise to say, well, his life's easy. Other people's lives are difficult. Life is difficult, full stop. The point is, how do we survive the difficulty of life and how do we move forward? And I believe that modern therapy is in grave danger of making life more difficult, not less difficult, because it takes people away from the engagement with the difficulty. And it says, come away, have this retreat from the brutality of the world and the cruelness of it. We'll chat for an hour and that will solve the problem. It won't solve the problem. You have to get out out of bed in the morning and wage war. Because it's it's like that out there and finding a way to engage with it. You need a retreat from it to have tea and sympathy from time to time and kindness and understanding. I'm not against that. But the reality is the brutality and the cruelness of the world or the difficulty of it ultimately has got to be engaged with. And we have to find a way of handling it and dealing with it. That's the ultimate problem. And I I believe that therapy is a disguise or an escape from that. And people think they're fixing themselves by chatting to someone for a long period of time you're not you can be fixing yourself but you're not necessarily fixing yourself by doing that mm.
1: do you think harry needed to be told maybe something like look you know you're right william might be doing this to you charles is doing that but you've got to sort yourself out mate and you've got to accept that not everybody's going to be how, how you want them to be
0: well, you, you make a, a brilliant point, which is one of the things that really worried me about the kind of therapy that he may or may not have been having. It was just an opportunity to have a conversation with the public about the nature of therapy. It, there was a very strong sense, going back to what your therapist said in the Harry interview, of him appearing to blame the world. These bad people over here did this to my wife. These bad people over there did this to me, etc., etc., et, cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. And the whole transition of therapy as your therapist, very intelligently pointed out, is we stop asking for the world to be different so we can be okay we find a way that we change and cope with the difficult world and then the difficult world responds to us by changing demanding that the world changes doesn't work we change if he had changed and handled his parents and his his dad and the people around him in a different way maybe the world would change in its response that's the ultimate answer we have to change because we we have control over ourselves we don't have control over the world so there was something really weird for someone who had, had so much therapy that he didn't seem to have got to that particular point. Is what my sense. I could be being very unfair.
1: Well, also, exactly as, as you're saying, he, he was upset that all these people have done these things to me. Oh, why didn't they show me? They invaded my privacy, for example. The, the moment, the second that he was no longer a royal, he's written a book invading the privacy of everyone else not only his family but like the first woman he had sex with and all different kinds of people who are chelsea davey who his ex-girlfriend who he said he, he makes it clear that it didn't really work because she hated people talking about her he then writes page after page after page of her about her for monetary gain and the difference is that he's already got like sums of money that the rest of us can't even count to. We can't even imagine. Uh, whereas people who are in the press and writing these same sort of stories about him, they needed to make a living. I'm not defending because a lot of that was immoral as well and he's right to complain about it. But to yep. not for him to not yep. be able to look inwards and go, gosh, I, I had one second out in the public realm and immediately resorted to doing exactly what they've done to me to other people. That's what I think Gabor Maté or whoever else needed to somehow make clear to him. But he might have just rejected it and said, don't want to hear this.
0: Well, but you make a good point. It goes back to the fundamental question, which I think is useful to have a dialogue with the public about, which is, what is therapy for? How does therapy work? You've brought up a certain model of therapy where we get challenged with our ideas. Where might our ideas be wrong or contradictory? To what extent is Prince Harry living a contradiction? I believe uh, there's a sense in which all therapy has to find that contradiction that we're living and expose us to it so we can try to resolve it. So that form of therapy is very challenging, Right. So you're referring constantly to the idea that maybe he should have been challenged. And certainly there was no challenge in that particular interview, and he didn't appear to have been challenged. Um, so another good challenge, in my opinion, was he kept going on and on about how much therapy it had and how much, how wonderful it was and how it was a great thing, right? And then the therapist interviewer, who's got his own book that he's plugging, obviously, uh, said to him, and how did it feel to write this book? Okay, Remember, before we get to the answer, Harry is saying, I've had years and years of therapy. It's been wonderful. I'm fixed. Okay? Yeah. And then he goes, you know, how did it feel to write this book? A burden was lifted from my shoulders. <laughs> he said, Harry. So, in other words, he's now saying the book was a kind of therapy, right? The therapy speaks invaded everything, right? So, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. A minute ago, you had all this therapy and it all worked. Why was a burden now being lifted from your shoulders a multi-million pound book deal i mean is, mm. if that was the thing that it took to lift the burden what was what was happening before <laughs> so again yeah. i may be being unfair i know i'm being horribly unfair possibly but all i'm saying is that therapy works best by being us being challenged about our belief systems in my opinion yeah. that's the modern understanding of therapy um, the old-fashioned therapy and you can see why from a commercial sense people in private practice don't want to challenge their patients because then they may get annoyed and not come back right so that's why the tea and sympathy is so popular in private practice. But, you know, are you really doing the patient a favour by just giving them tea and sympathy? I call it emotional heroin. I know you don't like me using Mm. the... (laughs) heroin word, but emotional heroin. You're supplying something that people get addicted to and they keep coming back and coming back. But is it actually good for them in the long run?
1: Mm. And not not to mention, we should remember, he didn't actually write the book. We don't even know how much involvement he really had apart from driving the, the, the actual writer crazy... With his constant requests and denials and thinking he knows best and all these kinds of things, oh. it is. It, if I have seen him also I've seen him in interviews where people where the interviewer has pushed back and he hasn't taken it well at all, Harry. He's really just no, 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 and he's very and I think that's why he would need to sort of very gradually be broken down at least by by a therapist or something. I, I don't know but you', you um,
0: push back in a micro way against me, right, and I think that's a very good thing. I, I'm, I, I think challenging me, and I'm up for you to challenge me in any way you like. Um, is a good thing because it it, it it will help me think and consider. Because the key question is, where might we be going wrong in our lives? Where might we be making a mistake with our beliefs about the world and the way we behave in that world? That's the fundamental question. And if you're not open to error, and we're looping back now to Russell Brand and conspiracy theories, the trouble with conspiracy theorists is they don't ask the fundamental question. There are some conspiracies out there in the world. Don't get me wrong, right? I don't want to brand them all as as, um, not being very well mentally. But the key question for all of us when we think about the world and come up with theories about the world is where might we be wrong in our ideas? What error might we be making? And so we should expose ourselves to the opposite argument so we can firm up our arguments. What all the conspiracists do is expose themselves only to other people willing to affirm and confirm your right. And the internet becomes this vast echo chamber where you just hang out with people who confirm your point of view, and you're not going to discover a better way of thinking that way. Instead, I know we're at, at the talking at a moment of a huge conflict in a particular part of the world, people who have opposite views need to find a way to expose themselves to each other's ideas without throwing spears at each other or blowing each other up. Mm. And that's the best way to, to get to a better place than yeah. people just hanging out with each other. I don't know whether you agree with that or whether I'm saying something inflammatory.
1: I, I agree, and I would actually add to it as well that um, I think we need to be okay. I think one of the things I've had to learn to do or try to do myself is to be okay with uncertainty and understand that I can't know everything. And that they're... so one of the issues with the conspiracy theorists is they need to they need to know. Obviously, that's a yeah. biological imperative. If, if there was a rustling in a bush, you needed to know what it was, and you couldn't just yeah. be uncertain about it. So it was made to be painful inside uh, until you knew what that was. And I think with Israel Palestine, with Russell brand whether you do you believe all women well that doesn't you can't believe all women okay well you also can't uh, just completely deny and dismiss what these women have said because it could be very very serious so oh. there's actually no answer And there's no good answer, and people can't handle there not being an answer to it. You obviously cannot believe all women. That doesn't, that's not how the world works. But you obviously can't just dismiss these four or potentially nine or ten I've read women who've come out with corroborating stories about Russell Brand. So that what's the answer? There isn't one. And everyone hates that. We can't handle that. So I think learning to be okay. Uh, with uncertainty would also stop. I mean, the scariest conspiracy is the the truth, I think, which is that people don't know what they're doing and no one knows what they're doing. That's scary. Well,
0: the other scary idea, and it it, it looks back to another important thing I have talked about, which is the Lucy Letby case. Mm. Um, And there's two nurses that were very similarly accused of being serial killers in Europe who have won their case on appeal and been released from prison. Wow. Okay. And um, I did a podcast interview um, with um, the professor of statistics who helped get both of those people off in terms of winning their appeal. And one of the key things that happens in these cases is unlike normal homicides, if there is such a thing as a normal homicide, where you find a body in a home with a knife sticking out of it, it's pretty obvious a homicide's occurred in a hospital where there's seriously ill people or ill babies who drop dead from time to time because they're ill and they're in hospital – The fact that a homicide has occurred or not is debatable. Okay. So with nurse serial killer cases, what happens is the nurse seems to be on call every single time a baby seems to die unexpectedly. Okay. Then people run the stats and they say for someone like nurse Lucy Letby to be on duty when 10 babies in a row drop dead unexpectedly, we do the stats and it's one in 300 million by just picking that number. Okay. And you can't, we don't believe that one in 300 million can occur by chance. Therefore she's guilty. Okay, so this professor of statistics, and I won't go into all the details now, um, demonstrates how we can unlikely events make us begin to think it can't be unlikely and just happened. It has to have a reason. There has to be agency. Okay, so basically, what I'm trying to say is sometimes stuff that happens in the world is just random. It just happened. You know, conspiracists always have to find a pattern, a connection. Nothing's random. It's all connected. And that, and we are, you said, but bi- biological imperative. We find it very difficult not to see agency. The leaf moved in the bush to use our example. It could have been mm. random. Could have just been wind or something. We have to look for agency because it evolutionarily the, to miss the saber tooth tiger led to your genes not being passed on to future generations. So we're driven not to realize that sometimes some stuff's just random. It just happens. In yeah. fact, in fact, a large amount of life is just random anyway well, and maybe we one, should randomly just, end on that note
1: <laughs> yeah i was going to say one in 300 million if there's a in a population of eight billion it should well. happen fairly regularly although we don't have eight billion nurses looking after after babies so i suppose that's different yeah. but but the statistician
0: yeah. made the point that when you get to one one in 70 million which is one statistic that came up in one of the cases um people start to say oh that that can't happen but every two or three times a week in this country there's a draw in a, a, in a national lottery or the euro millions lottery Someone wins every week. And for that person to win, they have violated chances of one in 70 million. Okay. For one person to get the ticket, a one in 70 million chance has occurred. We don't go around going, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe that just happened by chance. I need a police investigation into why that person won. There's Mm -hmm. there's There's a person in California that won the lottery twice. Okay. Which is like one in trillion or something type chances. Anyway, his point is, random stuff happens. And it happens quite a lot. And we have difficulty coming to terms with that.
1: Dr. Raj, where, where do you want to send people? What, what websites and thing, where should they go?
0: Well, I've got my own um, uh, uh, app, which is a podcast app, Dr. Raj Persaud Conversation. I've written several books. Um, I wrote a book about the psychology of coping with resi- had to be resilient. I used the COVID um, uh, uh, pandemic as the... the, the um, the 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 key stress factor in a lot of people's lives and i use that as a as a how to be resilient so that's called the mental vaccine for covid19 uh, available from all good bookshops i have several other books out um but and people can listen to the podcast raj basol in conversation um and what i would do in therapy at this stage is saying i'm terribly sorry we're running out of time um uh, <laughs> pay the receptionist on the way out <laughs>
1: Thank you, Dr. Raj Pasoor, for coming on the podcast. What a pleasure it was to have such an esteemed Harley Street psychiatrist on the show. And we had a lot of laughs and things. So hopefully the right topics will come up in the future and we'll be able to do another interview like that quite soon because that was a lot of fun and very interesting for me, at least. I found it really interesting and intellectually stimulating. Hope you guys did. And I hope you'll stick around for my
0: next episodes.